2: the story of a white woman who falsely accused a Latino couple of a crime and their quest to hold her accountable. I'm your host, Antonia Cerejido. On the last episode, Katie Sorensen's attempted kidnapping accusation goes viral and upends the lives of Sadie and Eddie Martinez.
3: Every 30 seconds or so, I'm I'm wanting to yell and, and scream and be like, you know, what the F are you talking about, lady?
4: At that point, they asked if we wanted them to investigate her. And they asked you that? Oh, they did. And we said yes. In this episode,
2: a major plot twist and a deep dive into some of the darker corners of the internet that may have influenced Katie Sorensen.
3: We have to look at this through the eye of a family influencer who needs content.
0: I think that moms were going to Michael's or Target and they were legitimately afraid that their children were going to be kidnapped at any moment. Here's our latest correspondent
2: Emily Garin.
1: On December 17th, 2020, the Petaluma Police Department closed one investigation and opened another. They were no longer trying to figure out whether Sadie and Eddie Martinez had tried to kidnap two blonde-haired, blue-eyed children from the Michaels craft store. Now the question was Did the mother of those children lie to the police about what had happened? To Sadie Martinez, it seemed like a good moment to clear their names. So on December 18th, she held a press conference in the Michaels parking lot.
5: All right, good afternoon and thank you for joining us today.
1: There were about 40 people there. Little girls on scooters, moms in trucker hats, a guy in a reflective vest walked around with a Black Lives Matter flag. Sadie's friend Kenyatta Reynolds started things off.
5: We're here not because of a joyous occasion, but because of um, another incident in Petaluma where um, another person was racially profiled. uh,
1: A few days earlier, the police station had been flooded with calls from Petaluma parents worried about an attempted kidnapping. Now, the script had flipped local moms were raging against Katie Sorensen the woman who had made the accusation and, lastly,
0: and i mean this from the like
5: 100% from the bottom of my heart you are the worst type of human being falsifying a story to jeopardize a bipoc family is not okay we are here to stand united for Sadie and Eddie members of our community our family
1: it was a remarkable reversal especially for Petaluma, a mostly white town traumatized by child abduction. This whole time, Sadie just stood off to the side. She was wearing jeans, a black mask, and a Black Lives Matter hoodie. Her long, wavy hair fell over her shoulders. At the very end, she stepped up to the microphone. She later told me she was nervous and had no idea what to say. But she wanted to speak to Katie directly. Katie and all the other women like her to make her understand what she'd done and the impact it had had on them.
5: Um, This is kind of hard for me. Um, I'm a pretty laid back individual. I'm a mom of five in Petaluma. My husband's a local UPS man. We're just an everyday family. So to get up and go shopping one day and then be accused of trying to abduct, abduct somebody's children is heartbreaking.
1: A woman pushes Sadie closer to the microphone, and another woman offers her a megaphone, but Sadie waves it off. She doesn't need it.
5: The Katies of the world, it stops here. It's not going on anymore. I think Katie thought that she could just pick on somebody or make up a story about people because she didn't like what they look like. Am I shocked? No. But will we stand for it? Hell no. So, today, I stand in front of everybody in a fight to prosecute Katie. That's why I'm here.
1: She stands there for a minute, chin up, unsmiling, as people clap and cheer and reporters begin to holler out questions. She looks confident and determined. Later, Sadie told me that Katie's accusation had really affected them. Having the police send out their photo to their
4: entire community upended their lives. We're forever labeled child abductors. And in social media, that's that never ends. So that forever is just attached to us now. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot. The impact
1: on Sadie and Eddie shows up in big ways and in small ways. It affects how Sadie
4: dresses now. Like before, I would show up at any event and not care. No makeup on, hair pulled back in a ponytail with my hoodie on just being a mom. And now I think twice and I say, okay, I have to get dressed and look presentable. I have to put my makeup on. So it affects you mentally. And Eddie feels like he can't be his full self in public anymore.
3: Like before I was just talk straight from the heart, whatever yeah. I'm doing. Now I find myself, especially people that I don't know, uh, um, seeing what I'm going to say before I say something because I don't want to misconstrued anything or have anything come out the wrong way that people might take it the wrong way. After
1: this press conference, Sadie Martinez had one goal, for Katie Sorensen to face criminal charges. And that's what she began to advocate for, loudly, while she waited for the results of the Petaluma Police Department's investigation. Meanwhile this incident was going viral in a whole new way.
5: She literally says in the video, like, these people do not look like kind people.
3: The police are investigating her for filing a false report because, of course, the bitch was lying.
1: As Katie Sorensen's video made its way around the Internet, different stories were starting to be told about what exactly had happened. Many people focused on Katie's description of Sadie and Eddie in the video she posted to Instagram.
6: I definitely felt the heebie-jeebies. I didn't feel good, but I thought I was judging a book by its cover. Um, they were not, like, kind. That sounds bad, but they weren't, um, they weren't clean-cut individuals. Um, and so I attributed my discomfort to just, again, judging a book by its cover.
1: Katie herself acknowledges that something about Eddie and Sadie's appearance made her uncomfortable. And although she didn't mention their race explicitly in her video, many people, including Sadie and Eddie, concluded the reason she felt scared was because they're Latino.
3: You know, she might have just thought we were just some immigrant couple that was just here uh, with no immigration papers, with no nothing, looking like bums, maybe stealing something and or doing something and just misjudging us off our looks, off of what we were wearing.
1: In their mind, Katie was a Karen, a white woman who called the police on two people of color because she felt
0: scared.
7: A Karen is a a white woman who uses her entitlement to call state power down on Black people and other people of color. And so it's that sort of Thinking of 911 as a kind of concierge service that is designed for our um, comfort.
1: Jessie Daniels is a professor at Hunter College, and she's written a book called Nice White Ladies.
7: Some of these instances of white women behaving badly really are about I'm uncomfortable. What do I do about that? Let me involve the state to take care and manage my discomfort.
1: There's a long history of white people calling the police on innocent people of color often with brutal consequences. Usually, Jesse Daniels told me, they get away with it.
7: It's incredibly rare for white women to be held accountable in these kinds of situations.
1: But this was late 2020, six months after George Floyd was killed by the Minneapolis police. There was a nationwide reckoning on racial justice. Suddenly, white women like Katie were getting called Karens and getting called out everywhere. The woman in the video is seen calling the NYPD to say an African-American man is threatening
5: her. Barbecue Becky's 911 calls have finally been released nearly four months after she made headlines for calling the police on two black men.
3: He was using chalk to write Black Lives Matter when a couple walking by said that he was doing something illegal.
1: I noticed that people online were making a big deal of the fact that Katie had been a mom influencer. She ran this small business-slash-blog called Motherhood Essentials, where she gave advice on clean living and how to mother more mindfully. She also did multi-level marketing, selling essential oils, elderberry drops, and CBD-infused cosmetics. Before she posted the video, Katie had about 3,000 followers. The day after, she had more than 80,000, according to BuzzFeed News. Many people decided that Katie must have wanted to boost her social media following. So she made an emotional video positioning herself as a victim, a tried and true method for raising your profile online.
3: We have to look at this through the eye of a family influencer who needs content.
5: How far are influencers going to go to make a dollar? It is getting ridiculous.
1: This was Sadie's theory, too.
4: Her being an influencer, I'm sure is what created all of this. I'm sure she wanted the following so she could make more money.
1: Sadie thinks that Katie cast a Latino couple as the villains in her story because she thought she'd get away with it.
4: It was pretty evident that she racially profiled us and made up a story to gain followers.
1: Maybe, Sadie told me, Katie thought the Martinezes were undocumented or they wouldn't have the resources to fight back. Or maybe she was just really naive.
4: I don't think she really understood the, the um, Like who she was messing with. Yeah, I don't really think she realized what she was doing. If you had picked a different couple, you might have gotten away with this. But unfortunately, you picked us, and I'm not letting it go.
1: But not everyone sees Katie as a Karen, or as an influencer gone wrong. In fact, I talked to a number of people who watched the video Katie made, and saw something completely different. That's after a break. You're listening to Imperfect Paradise.
0: The Las Spring Super
1: Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. Jessica met Katie Sorensen through a local mother's group in Sonoma, California, where Katie used to live and where Jessica still lives. Jessica didn't want to use her last name for fear of being harassed or retaliated against for speaking out in support of Katie.
7: I saw some people trying to come to her defense online, and they were basically attacked by the mob. I'm going to be candid with you, like I'm super nervous to speak with you today about this. and I'm, I'm doing so just because I do think that people need to hear that there's more to this than, than what we're really seeing.
1: Jessica told me that she'd always known Katie to be a kind and caring person. She even wrote a letter on her behalf to help with her legal case. She said Katie organized a donation drive for people displaced by the wildfires that devastated Sonoma County in 2017.
7: And that's the Katie that I know. She's really driven to help people. Um, regardless of who they are, their background or their race.
1: The Katie that Jessica knew was a stay-at-home mom with three kids who belonged to the Church of Latter-day Saints in Sonoma. Jessica found Katie to be a pretty private person, at least in real life, and she doesn't buy the Katie did it for the clicks theory. She thinks Katie must have legitimately felt scared while shopping at Michael's and made her Instagram video because she really wanted to help other people learn from her experience.
7: You know, to be honest with you, I don't think she expected it to blow up the way that it did.
1: Jessica told me that after Katie posted her initial video, she uploaded a second Instagram video in which she seemed shocked by how it was going viral. I wasn't able to see this video as Katie's account is now private. But I do know from court documents that when Katie spoke with a Petaluma detective the day after posting her video, she talked about how overwhelmed she was. She asked for help handling this, quote, social media thing. I asked Jessica whether she thought what Katie had done was racial profiling.
7: I didn't read it into it that, that way at all. Um, I just saw it as, you know, she could potentially have some unconscious biases. We all do. I just think she saw some people who, who scared her. Something about, about the way they behaved, something about what they were saying, what she thought they were saying, you know, scared her.
1: So I asked her, why do you think Katie felt scared?
7: So we were in a lot of the same social media groups, parenting groups, and I was at the time seeing a lot of posts about like attempted kidnapping and sex trafficking and stranger danger, et cetera. I think she bought in too much into the fear mongering and the stranger danger.
1: Late 2020 was a very weird time to be on the internet. Trump had just lost the election, but hadn't conceded yet. It was the deadliest period of the pandemic to date, and we were all social distancing. Vaccines were about to roll out, but nobody had them yet. Everybody was online all the time, and conspiracy theories were rampant. It was in this environment that Katie Sorensen and Sadie and Eddie Martinez crossed paths. And what happened, and how people talked about what happened, became kind of a microcosm of everything that was going on online. the Petaluma Police Department got a search warrant for Katie Sorensen's social media. According to court documents, they found her to be, quote, in significant engagement with QAnon conspiracy theories, which tend to center around kidnappers and pedophiles. I later saw one of Katie's posts. In one, she's holding a hand-drawn sign that reads, quote, Let's be the generation that ends child trafficking. The photo caption is, Slavery still exists. And it ends with the hashtag, Save the Children. I want to take a minute here to explain the QAnon child sex trafficking connection. And in particular, that hashtag on Katie's photo, Save the Children. So Save the Children is the name of a hundred-year-old nonprofit organization that advocates on behalf of children around the world. But in the summer of 2020, the hashtag Save the Children was co-opted by people who follow the conspiracy theory QAnon. It has nothing to do with the organization. QAnon is an online movement that emerged during the Trump presidency, and it's based on centuries of anti-Semitic conspiracies. Its followers believe that a secretive group of pedophilic, Satan-worshipping elites control our government and media. And exposing child sex trafficking is a big part of QAnon. So late in the summer of 2020, QAnon followers began using the hashtag SaveTheChildren to spread their message on social media— It showed up in the form of influencers who were making videos about the supposed epidemic of child kidnapping. And there were people on Twitter sharing memes and worried moms posting in private Facebook groups. Stephanie McNeil is now a senior editor for Glamour magazine. But in late 2020, she was an internet culture reporter at the late BuzzFeed News.
0: There was a lot of misinformation on social media at the time that had led a lot of women she start to believe that child sex trafficking was a way bigger issue than statistically we know it is, and especially stranger kidnapping of children. Stephanie
1: first saw Katie's Instagram video when it came out back in December 2020. She grew up in Southern California, and some of her friends from back home were sharing it. And she was like, oh, I think this is part of that conspiracy.
0: I was on Instagram, and all of a sudden, every single story from all of these people that I knew from growing up were sharing oh my god child trafficking is this huge issue this woman's children literally almost got snatched from her cart and michael's like mama's be on alert like literally acting like it was armageddon and then the next day when i was at work it really had just exploded it was all over every single influencer's page and became apparent that it was something that we needed to look into because it was spreading so quickly and the facts seemed pretty murky.
1: Stephanie did not immediately think of Katie as an influencer fabricating a story to go viral. Nor did she think of Katie as a Karen, although she can see it now. Instead, she saw her as a woman who may have been primed to see attempted kidnappers everywhere.
0: I think people were brainwashed, honestly. Like, I think that moms were going to Michael's or Target, and they were legitimately afraid that their children were going to be kidnapped at any moment.
1: Of course, being a Karen and a Save the Children follower are not mutually exclusive because there are real white supremacist overtones to QAnon and to hashtag Save the Children in particular.
3: Much of the imagery and messaging around Save the Children is clearly directed at white audiences.
1: This is Cody Bunton, a professor at University of Maryland who studies online disinformation. He told me it's particularly triggering to white women. A typical hashtag save the children post features a dark skin hand on the shoulder or over the mouth of a white child.
3: So it sets up a very specific kind of image that young white children, especially young white girls, are at risk of being assaulted or trafficked by
0: some other Racial other.
1: This imagery plays on anxieties that are deeply rooted in American history. White women being victimized by black men. This anxiety has led to some truly horrendous things, from the murder of Emmett Till to the conviction of the Central Park Five. But the reality is that white children are not disproportionately the victims of human trafficking in America. Black and Native American children are. That's according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Yet almost none of the hashtag Save the Children posts feature children of color. I wanted to play Cody a bit of Katie Sorensen's Instagram video to see what he thought.
6: They weren't um, weren't clean-cut individuals. They're saying blonde hair, blue eyes, um, maybe one years old, trying to guess ages.
1: What do you think about that?
3: Well, I think the, the first bits of that messaging are exactly in line with what we see in the kinds of imagery that's presented uh, with, with the QAnon conspiracy, right? Uh, and it's, again, just more evidence that the reality is, is being warped here.
1: I don't know whether Katie believed any of the Save the Children conspiracies. I also don't know if she was a QAnon follower. But I do know from court documents that she attended a rally about sex trafficking— And when she posted her video, it was to make parents aware of possible threats to their children.
6: My purpose in sharing this is to simply raise awareness. My hope is that this inspires a parent who is in a situation where they do need to take their children out into public right now to be aware of what's going on. Um, I don't want to uh, impose a fear mentality. We have enough fear of living in this world right now, I don't want to add to that, but I just want to encourage you to be aware.
1: A few months after Katie posted her video, she and her family moved out of state. Her mom later told me that they had been getting death threats and no longer felt safe in Sonoma. The Sorensons bought a house on the outskirts of Bozeman, Montana. I wrote her a letter there, but she didn't answer, and none of my other attempts to contact her worked either—phone, social media, through her family members. The day after I emailed the school where she now works, her photo and biography had been removed from the teacher's page. Katie hasn't talked to the media since December 2020, but in early March 2023, Katie's mom, Jill Turrell, began to speak out. That's coming up on Imperfect Paradise. Stay with us.
2: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however, you cha-ching. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash paradise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash paradise now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash paradise.
6: LAist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com slash events.
1: You're listening to Imperfect Paradise from LAS Studios. I'm Emily Guerin. While Katie Sorensen has kept silent, her mom, Jill turgeon turned to social media this past spring to defend Katie. Jill wrote a long Facebook post and offered her theory of why Katie filed her police report and posted her video. Jill believes Katie had a legitimate reason to be concerned that day at Michael's, and that as a responsible citizen, she reported her concerns to the police. Jill believes that Katie never said anything in her police report that would lead anyone to think her concerns were racially motivated. But she thinks Katie's been accused of racism and targeted by the media because of, quote, the color of her skin and her political affiliation. Jill ended her post with the hashtag, her name is Katie, not Karen. But Sadie Martinez has her own hashtag. Hashtag prosecute Katie. And for the past two years, she's been writing it everywhere. On the sidewalk, on the beach, on receipts at restaurants. She's even had sweatshirts printed and worn them on national TV. She did a banner drop over the 101 freeway.
4: The level of what she did to us, the level of hate and racism in 2020 when this happened, is unacceptable. She was willing to send us to jail for 25 years for something that never even happened. And I teach my kids, I've raised five kids, to go out in the world and live your best life and you belong here just as much as the next person. I could not just sit down and let this person just walk all over our family and do this. This is not okay.
1: Sadie has been getting messages from people all over the country. A lot of people of color have had the experience of being accused of something they did not do.
4: I've had... Numerous messages, people asking how I decided to fight back, how I go about my decisions. It's, it's crazy. This is part of why she's going so hard. I have the ability to speak up. I have the ability to stand up here and fight back for people who can't.
1: And then in April 2021, there was a huge development in the hashtag Prosecute Katie campaign. The Sonoma County District Attorney charged Katie Sorensen with three counts of false reporting of a crime. False reporting is a misdemeanor, punishable by up to six months in jail, which means 18 months total for all three counts. Criminal defense lawyers in California told us that being charged for false reporting is rare. It's even rarer for a case to actually make it to trial. But on two separate occasions, the judge in this case denied Katie's lawyer's request to have her case dismissed in exchange for diversity, sensitivity, and social media ethics training, among other things. The judge, Laura Pasaglia, wrote in her ruling that if Katie's case didn't go to trial, people might believe the justice system is not fair. Quote, the ethics of social media manipulation." the real-world consequences of public shaming, and most importantly, the societal impact of false accusations attacking people of color in our community loom large here, she wrote. In April 2023, jury selection finally began after two years of delays. When I called Sadie to check in a few days beforehand, she told me she'd been feeling anxious but was looking forward to the closure.
4: I believe that the truth will come out finally. He made up this story, posted online, and the moment the world found out he was not telling the truth, he never spoke again, he now has to sit up there and tell the truth and, um, and be held accountable. And I look forward to that. I look forward to the world hearing that none of this ever happened.
2: LA's correspondent, Emily Guerin. Next time on Imperfect Paradise.
1: So today is day one of the Katie Sorensen trial, and I'm actually walking in right behind Katie and her husband.
7: Everybody knows
4: about it. We call her Kidnap Katie. I know it's about race, and that's enough for me.
2: This episode of Imperfect Paradise was written and reported by Emily Guerin. I'm the show's host, Antonia Serejido. Catherine Mailhouse is the executive producer of the show, and Shayna Naomi-Krockmull is our vice president of podcasts. Rebecca Katz is our intern and the producer of this series. James Trow provided additional production. Jens Campbell is our production coordinator. The editor is Sarah Kate Kramer. Fact-checking by Caitlin Antonios mixing and theme music by e scott kelly imperfect paradise is a production of la studios this podcast is powered by listeners like you support this show by donating now at laus.com slash join this podcast is supported by gordon and donna crawford who believe quality journalism makes los angeles a better place to live seven states on the Colorado River may have to cut back water. But not everyone agrees on how. From Coloradans who blame others for the crisis. There continues to be a look upstream to solve a problem that we did not create. To farmers who may lose their livelihoods.
3: We don't want to cut equal with everybody else.
2: Will they reach a deal in time? Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.